podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Podcasting to you from a field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Downey, and this is Malby on the Spot, your weekly chance. Thanks to Anfield Index Pro to hear the wit and wisdom of our regular guest, Mr. Jan Malby, Liverpool and Denmark legend, who's about to chat to us again about the week that was for the Reds and the week that will be. And a good week it was, Jan, considering some of the ones we've had recently. Nice to be able to look back on a couple of wins, a little bit of progress, uh, we've got the World Cup and all the various squads to chat about. Uh, and we've got one final game in this period of the season to look forward to as well. So it should be a crammed enough show. I suppose what we'll do is we'll get out of the way the most recent memory for folks, which is last night's game. I'll hold my hands up immediately and say that if it was not for our producer, Guy Drinkle, I wouldn't have a clue what happened because I couldn't find a working uh, stream when I went to look. Um, it was very difficult to get um, a look at the game unless you were lucky enough to be at it. So I don't have a huge working knowledge of it, bar the reports um, on Raw from Guy. Um, so I did get to hear some details via him. What What was your experience of the game last night? Did you get to see it? Were you at it? Or? No, I didn't get to see it and I wasn't at it. Uh, but I've obviously gathered some information via Various, whatever, and some highlights. Uh, and also spoke to some people at the game. And it was very much one of those sort of, I'd be wrong to say it's a nothing game in it because we, we, we totally dominated the ball, uh, had all the play, created some opportunities, but no real clear cut. Uh, maybe apart from Harvey Elliott's their goalkeeper. I guess he made the saves he had to make. Some of them looked a bit sort of lucky and clumsy and whatever, isn't it? But he managed to keep it out. Uh, we get to the penalties. I quite, I quite, I don't know how you feel, Trevor, but I quite like this Carabao Cup, play the 90 minutes, bang, penalties. Uh, creates excitement, doesn't it? Uh, and we just know Keller and Gold, penalty shootout. It only goes one way, I don't know. His you fourth, know. his fourth, uh, penalty shootout, um, and his fourth successful one. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's a bananas record. I read somewhere today, I think, is it 20, one out of 25 or something like that. Liverpool have won 20 out of 25 or something like that. Liverpool have won. And the only one I think of note that they lost, uh, was in a, uh, cup final against City, uh, of the League Cup, I think not that long ago. Um, so there is this sort of aura around the club and this kid in and of himself, that is the one of the things I did see was the collected Kelleher clips. Um, and it, it, he's an interesting focal point for our discussion because in a squad where we know where we need to uh, strengthen, we have not quite an embarrassment of riches, but we're doing okay there when you look at 
who we've got to step in as number two. The thing I like about him most, Jan, is that he's just unflappable. He just really has this calm about him um, that belies his comparatively young age. Uh, it's a rare quality, especially in a goalkeeper. Um, and it's, 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 it's really nice to see. My fear with Quivine is that he's probably too good to be sitting on our bench and, um, waiting for the rare opportunities. And if we're going to have a natural successor to Ali, the lad probably needs to be off and playing. What's your take on him? So what I like about him, Trevor, is that every time I see him, he seems to get better. You mm. know, and I like that. The first time I ever saw him, I thought, he's a typical young goalkeeper that's given an opportunity. Uh, he's not going to make it. Uh, and that was my first reaction when I saw him. I thought, yeah, I can see it. He's a good size player, but... There was too many things that you know you have to be able to do to play in the Premier League, and I thought he couldn't do. And one of them was the, with the ball at his feet. Well, now he's a genius with the ball at his feet, isn't he? You know, and I, I, you know, it's it's it's, it's maybe a, a department in Anfield that, that isn't given enough credit. You know, the goalkeeping, you know, what they do with Allison and Keller and whatever, isn't it? It's it just looks right. So I like him, but I totally agree with your point. How long is that enough for him? You know, and do you then do what other clubs have done, Manchester United did with Dean Henderson, send him out on loan, but it never really worked it because he came back only to be sold, isn't it? The problem Liverpool got with Keller is they don't want to loan him out because they've got big plans with him, haven't they? Um, so I think it's really a tricky one to keep an eye on for, isn't it? But, you know, when you talk about, and obviously often on this programme, for, for very obvious reasons, we talk about penalties and penalty takers, isn't it? And you also have goalkeepers who save penalties. You have goalkeepers who are never anywhere near saving a penalty. And then you have goalkeepers who are near everyone and saves 25% of the penalties that they, that they, they face. It's remarkable. And he's one of them, isn't he? You know, he's a, he's a goalkeeper that's always close to them, isn't it? You know, he's not a goalkeeper that's always, whenever penalty taken, he's lying over there when the ball goes in on his left. And he, he more or less always gets it right. And he saves an unbelievable amount of penalties. It's, uh, yeah, what, what a skill to have that is. What what a skill to have for him and for the squad, and that that is the tricky thing. You're right. Liverpool would be reluctant to let him go on any sort of a, a, a permanent transfer. But just to tease out that idea a bit, would you? I mean, Allison, assuming that he manages to stay healthy, is not going anywhere anywhere soon. He's clearly, if not the best in the world, in in the top two or three all the time. Um, for me, I think he is the best. Uh, you don't move him out of that position for a while unless he loses mobility or starts to pick up injuries or something like that happens, to, uh, starts to happen to him. And it's unlikely, you know, uh, I, I know the thing about Allison, he, he's, he's a big old unit and maybe he will require a lot of maintenance going forward in order, in order to keep that fitness level that he needs and the agility level may dissipate a bit over time. I don't know. But I don't see him going anywhere soon in terms of disappearing from our first team. And with that in mind, this is where I see the loan being a useful uh, situation for the Reds for this particular asset. Because like you said, we don't want to lose him yet. No, we don't want to lose him. Absolutely not. I mean, we sold Danny Water less than 12 million. So you can only imagine what this guy's going to be worth. And, you know, he's, he's, he's hardly played any football. Listen, so, But it is a tricky situation. The only thing with Alisson, and we don't know, we saw the Saudi Amani fancied something different in his career, and we don't know whether that's the same case with, with Alison or not, isn't it? Uh, but you know, at some stage, this will come to an head. 
he, he can't because the boy's simply too good. So it is something that, yeah, I, I really don't know how do you deal with these things. That you got, you got probably the best goalkeeper in the world, and you got one of the best upper young goalkeepers in the world. Both who want to play, isn't it? Both feel that they deserve to play, isn't it? You know, as much as we will go, we always think we live in a world where we can. Well, why don't you just almost share the games? That doesn't work either. Does it? You have a number one, and you have a reserve. That's how it works as a goalkeeper. So it is one to keep an eye on. For, that's for sure. Now we will only go on very limited amount on uh, in terms of this game because both of us not having seen it, neither of us are inclined to be spoofers. I think um, listeners will know that. So the one thing that we can say is that a lot of our nippers got to run out. They got to run out at the end of a recent game as well. And it was very uh, enjoyable um, when um, a lot of them came on towards the end against Napoli. Um, And we got to see Calvin Ramsey and he got his run out last night and lots of different guys uh, getting some game time. And I suppose if we were to look at it from the perspective of giving more minutes to those potential assets, um, it is only a good thing that we get to move on. I assume, Jan, you weren't one of these who was, um, well, if we go out, it's probably for the best types. I know you're a bit like myself. If there's a game there, you want to win it, uh, and we'll worry about the consequences afterwards. Um is that probably the best way for for the Reds to look at it? Not so much about defending the trophy, although I think quite a lot of teams have gone gone out, uh, but more just about a chance for the likes of those kids and the likes of an Oxide Chamberlain to get minutes into the legs and hopefully um, be of use to the first team over the course of the season. I mean, the, the Oxide did some good things, didn't he? You know, he, he, was, he was shooting from distance and, you know, had had, had a few goals. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, Trevor, we want to win every game uh, that, we, that we play in. Uh, even when you play weakened teams and you go, oh, it's a weakened team, we'll probably lose, but you still want to win. So, how I view it is that we're not going to have that many people go in the World Cup, you know, from our squad, mm-hmm. uh, because there's, there's a number of countries who hasn't qualified, whatever. And I think we're possibly looking at, off the top of my head, six, seven, eight players who go in the World Cup, which means there's going to be an enormous amount of those players going to Dubai, in the training camp, where we then had, I believe, two friendlies against AC Milan and Leon, uh, and then the first game before we return to Premier League action would then be the next round of the Carabao Cup, and I think just for that reason alone, it's almost perfect, isn't it? So you get a reset for all the boys who don't go to the World Cup. They'll have a, I believe they're going out around the fifth of December, so they'll have a couple of weeks out there. It's like a mini preseason, couple of games, and then the real game before we then kick into uh... Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Before we then kick into the Premier League, which is obviously a brutal start with, with, with the three games, uh, and then 
should we win the Carabao Cup game? Great, because then you go, I believe then the next is two-legged semi-final or whatever. And so I do believe it has its it, 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 it benefits. There will equally be other clubs who go, we're not that bothered about the way because of the way that this season is. And if I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times, Trevor, this season pisses me off no end, you know what I mean, because of everything to do with it, isn't it? Uh, but I, I can see I can see all the positives in, in what we've done now. I think it fits in well with how Jürgen wants to prepare us for our return on Boxing Day. So, yeah, well done to the boys. Yeah, 100%. I think that's probably the best way to leave it. Our most recent Premier League outing uh, was uh, a curiosity of a game. Um, one of those ones that Saint and Greavesy used to refer to as a game of two halves uh, and turned into quite the cliche. Um, now, you talk about being pissed off, Jan. Um, I enjoyed the first half of that game immensely. The second half of the game, I found bloody infuriating because we did something that I'll never understand um, and I can't understand. It's it's adding to the frustrations of what is this season? Um, what have this group become? Because we just invited the opposition on and it was almost as if we were trying to chuck it. I'll be honest with you. I, I was I was borderline furious by the end of that match, Jan, because it, it just felt unnecessarily uncomfortable. We have and had on the day more than enough quality players to take the game to them in a way that didn't involve us sitting back. When we went at them in the first half, I think they had maybe two decent opportunities, good opportunities in that first half, but the first half belonged to the Reds completely and we were playing the football that we wanted to play. Uh, we get our lead and then once Kane scores, the only momentum is with them. And I find that really hard to take because it just means that we're not really on top of managing games. The counterpoint to it, Jan, is that they got over the line in the end without conceding that equaliser. So is that where we should lean? Or where did you find yourself uh, veering towards the annoyance end of the scale? Or, oh, look, job done, move on. Because it feels a little bit like it's fingers in the air, la, 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 if you're to say, we got the win, a win is a win. You know what I mean? Well, first, Spurs are as bad as going behind as we are. So yeah. that helped us, didn't it? You know, we, yeah. we, 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 we kind of got that first goal, then we got another one, lead at half time or whatever, isn't it? But there can be no denying it, Trevor. I was traveling back from London, so I listened to the game on the radio and then watched it on the web on the Monday. And when you know the results and you got an idea how the game goes, you kind of view it in a different way, isn't it? Because you know how the edge of the seat and you, you sort of look at it, isn't it? And for starters, at the moment, and again, I go back to the, the schedule that the players are going through, we haven't got 90 minutes in us. We, we, we just simply can't keep that intensity up for, uh, for 90 minutes. That's an issue, isn't it? But it also goes sometimes further than... I played, I played in teams that were tired, but you still find... You still find a resolve that I didn't really think we found on Sunday. And and you mentioned how we got over the line and without being but maybe we got away with one. You know, you kind of think mm, did we get away with one? Yes. Yeah, we probably did. So I'm thinking that, yeah, okay, by all means be tired, yeah. But find something that stops them doing what they did to us in the second half and, and that surprised me. It surprised me that we couldn't find something that could just go, okay. We'll, we'll do this now. Uh, so that, that is, so it's almost like, let's get this Southampton game out of the way. 
and let's pack the ones up to the World Cup and and let's just see somehow if we can. I just think there's so many things we need to find again for us to be able to go. And this is what we want to do, Travis. We want to be able to go. That'll never happen again. That'll never happen again. We won't see that again. But we're not really moving away from that, are we? You know, you think Tuna at, at Spurs, you think, now we can show. When was the last time we were cruising two and a half time in an away game? We've got to go back to last season, haven't we? And we go, okay, now we can now we can show what we got. And we didn't. We actually managed to show our frailty yet again, how fragile we can be, isn't it? And that that's a big worry for me, that's what I I think it's perfectly fair. Um and it's it's that point, Jan, that we've made a few times on the show now is you know, it's not even if we stop the head scratching and the what's gone wrong, um, because we can talk all day about whether they're tired or if there's something askew in the group or whatever, we can all make suppositions. But if, if we don't know, we don't know. And it's, it's only uh, after a certain point, it's just shit talk, really, isn't it? So what we can do is we can say that it's starting to get very wearing and very tedious to see a group of players as good as this. Like I said, coughing up possession, uh, looking tentative. Uh, not being able to manage uh, a result over the line. Yeah, and for the love of God, not putting your foot through the ball when that is clearly the best option. I've lost track of the amount of games this season where we watched really quality footballers like Fabinho and Thiago and, and our centre-halves just mincing about in the box with bobbling around and nobody just saying, you know what, clear the lines, relieve the pressure. Now, I'm all for playing your way out in um, tricky situations, and I love that we do that. This is not what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about these pinball scenarios that come around after a corner or a free kick, and you've got lads just seemingly not fully committed to just relieving the pressure. I can't explain that, man. I, 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 I what, what, what is that? Is that is is that part of a a lazy attitude or, 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 or a tired attitude? or What is that? I, I can't understand it. I'm always torn between the way it used to be and the way it is today. And, mm. you know, what, what, what's the good things and bad things from, from, from the different eras? Uh, I mean, when I played in Liverpool, uh, in training every day, we, we played either side, and that's basically all we did. We did a warm-up, we did a shoot, and we played either side. We never went through any set pieces, wherever those set pieces would be, free kicks, corners, long throw-ins. We never really went through any set sort of play. Uh, we, we went out and played in a system that they felt suited us. That's why they brought us to the football club. And then when you're out on the pitch, you make and you find your own solutions. Today, and all those things you were talking about, Trevor, they would have been through a hundred times. Mm. You know, when, when we build from the back, this is what we do. We've got three, four, five different ways of building from the back. When we have throw-ins, this is what we do. And that's why I can't understand that, that we look so uncertain in those moments. And it makes me, I always think, because there's obviously this thing about us that we used to play and whatever, and especially my area because it was relatively successful. And people go, you lot never did that. And yeah, of course we did. We also lost games and we also had poor games. But I always try and think, what was I like when I played well, uh, when I didn't play well? You know, in terms of mentally, well, how did it affect me? You know, did it did it did it make me second guess things? Did it make me nervous uh, of, of of doing things that you normally just do naturally? You know what I mean? And I, to be honest, I don't recall ever sort of being reluctant or nervous to do things because I wasn't playing well. 
I always felt that there was a certain amount of, and I don't know what you what you call it, what you call it, mental strength or whatever, but I always felt that. And I, I'm by now I'm thinking of some of the people around me as well that, you know, these really great Liverpool players who might not always get the praise that they deserve, but people like Ronnie Wheel and whatever. I just, Steve Nichol, and I never looked at them. I looked at them having bad games. But I never looked at them having uncertain games. You know, where you think, you know, we, we were laughing and joking. You, know, you had a poor one there, mate, didn't you? But you would never go as far as to go, you didn't look a fucking footballer. You know what I mean? And, and, and sometimes I look and I go, how, I, I don't know how that creeps in, Trevor, but I think it's very, very difficult. And I can't be 100% sure that when I speak for me or when I speak to some of the players, but there's also other players that when I think back and maybe when they've mentioned not as strong, and, and, and they might have gone through something totally different, isn't it? You know, in, in terms of what, I just, I just always felt that I was pretty sure about how the game should be played, how I should play the game, and I'd go from there. That never stopped me making, uh, giving the ball away and making bad passes and giving away free, whatever. But I just never felt, you know, and I think I was, I was always a relatively thinker about, you know, I, I needed to think about the game to be able to, to survive in the game because I never survived because of my pace and whatever it is. And so, and I always think that if, if that would have been the case where, I would have gone to a level where I'm going, I don't, you know, I, I always felt that I knew what to do. doesn't guarantee you get it right. But I don't know, I might be a million miles wrong, isn't it? But I'm talking from per, personal experience. Well, you see, that that's what makes this show brilliant, is that we're, we're getting that kind of feedback from you. And, I mean, let's look at, at a guy who's a, a, a bit of colossus for us in the midfield. Um, look at him as a direct counterpoint with yourself. A guy who... Uh, has uh, all the capabilities to play progressive football, but also has this reputation as 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 a, as a destroyer and and and, and a foot in merchant and all those kind of things uh, in Fabinho. And we've seen Fabinho a few times this year, and he just looks like a shell of himself. And you're not supposed to say it out loud, but so is Virgil Van Dijk at times. And I've heard it mentioned out loud on several shows um, by several people that they look at him they think I think that lad might be managing himself through to the World Cup uh, so that he doesn't get crocked which is a big shout um, and you kind of wonder then don't you uh, about mentality and mindsets and whether all the talk about physical exhaustion might be a little bit of a red herring and that there might be lots of lads with different agendas. Some of them might be a little bit disillusioned that we haven't gotten the group of players that, you know, they think that we deserve. Some of them might be having things like the World Cup on the horizon. Some of them might just be mentally shot uh, after the stress, and it must be stressful, of each and every game having to win, having to win, having to win. And then if we're honest, Jan, this group of players although they've been wonderful, they've lost a lot. They've lost a lot at the last moment. Uh, and that must be a difficult kick in the face to have on a repeated basis. So I guess all of those things could take their toll and form. Maybe they haven't lost a lot, Trevor, but they've lost big, haven't they? Yes, you know? yeah. That's what and I, mean, and yeah, I think that's probably a, a better description in that, you know, that one game away from, 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 from being successful, isn't it? And that is a problem. But I don't even remember, and I've mentioned this on the show before, First Premier League weekend of the season, I did three games, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And the overriding message I got at those three games, speaking to backroom staff, was 
this season already is a fucking nightmare because the players' focus is already elsewhere. And that's going back to August, isn't it? Where the players are already thinking World Cup. You know, World Cup. And that is twofold, isn't it? It's either trying to get into a World Cup squad or making sure that when they get picked, that you're available, isn't it? So I'm not suggesting that any players, and I mean any players, deliberately would have done anything. There's a thing with Real Madrid, Benzema, he's hardly played the last five or six games, isn't it? And Solazzi came out and said, absolutely bullshit that we haven't been looking after him for the World Cup or whatever. Uh, but just sometimes, Trevor, isn't it? Sometimes at the back of your head, you mentioned Virgil van Dijk, who missed the last Euros uh, because of an injury, isn't it? Is this his last, probably is his last World Cup, uh, or it's probably his last World Cup where he can go and be one of the top boys, isn't he? So I'm not suggesting that he's been pulling one, but maybe, maybe they just sometimes think that, you know, there's, there's a couple of things you want to achieve in this season. Is that one is success with Liverpool and another one is to make the to make the World Cup, you know, for your country. Isn't it? I don't know. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Well, that's probably a nice segue for us to do this sort of interim chat about the World Cup. And I ask Guy to be good enough to put in the thing in this the thread for us here. Who who which of the Reds have gone? So of the first team squad. Trent Alexander-Arnold was named today. We'll speak about that England squad uh, in a separate little thing at the end um, because that's always a source of um, uh, interest for those of us uh, whose country it is not uh, that we can kind of um, raise our eyebrows. Uh, Henderson's obviously going in that squad as well. Uh, Canate has been selected for France. Um, the aforementioned Fabio, uh, Fabinho and Alisson for um, uh, Brazil, but Bobby misses out and read an interview with him. I think he's fairly good, at, to be honest. Um, Virgil, uh, Darwin Nunes, and we're not sure about the Spanish squad yet, so perhaps Thiago. Um, but that's a comparatively small band, isn't it? So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. I know there's a break in Dubai and there's um, various bits and bobs that would be going on. But you'd have to imagine that will stand us in good stead. And if we could get the likes, I, I, I believe, uh, Luis Diaz is back training, um, you know, on the, on the training pitch with the lads. If we can get Shota back, those two guys are going to make a massive difference to our campaign as it pans out over the second half of the season. Um, what's your idea of the impact of the World Cup on the squad when you take into account comparatively small amount of reds that are actually going. I still think it'll have an impact, Trevor. Uh, yeah. you, you know, because of the, the, the way that everything's going to pan out. And of those you mentioned, I mean, some will obviously be key players and, 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 and some of them won't uh, get an awful lot of involvement, isn't it? It's a massive disappointment for any player if your country doesn't uh, qualify and if you're not picked for the World Cup squad. Uh, so it is a massive disappointment, but I still think it'll have an impact. But I also think it will allow us some time to repair, maybe, you know, and we, you don't just always repair injured players. You can also have to repair fully fit players. And I do believe that if what I've been told is, is true, is that they play against Southampton on Saturday the 12th, and then they basically get themselves a couple of weeks, even up to the 5th of December, uh, more or less being off. I mean, that's going to be invaluable, isn't it? You know, where you can shut your body down uh, in terms of doing almost nothing. So it will have an impact, but it will also have a benefit. It's just a case, 
Well, which is the bigger? Which is the bigger? You know, the the the, the, the minuses are the are the benefits, and you know we spoke about this before, isn't it? Allison might play in a World Cup final, might me. Uh, for Brazil, Fabinho might be involved. They might lose that. Coming back to having to play against Aston Villa a few days, I I really don't know. But also there'll be an emotional involvement for the winners. Uh, there'll be losers in terms of people who have disappointment tournaments, isn't it? Expecting more, isn't it? So uh, I can't. I, I just can't find anything exciting to say about it, Trevor. I'm mm. not looking forward to it. Uh, of course, I will get involved once it gets going, isn't it? Because there'll be stories, you know, instantly be stories. And there's teams you want to see and there's players you want to see. And of course, I want to see Denmark and whatever, isn't it? But by at the moment, it's a mess. I think it's amazing that um, as a man who, you know, has represented his country in that competition, that even you can be as sort of lacking in excitement for it. I think it says a lot about it uh, when you know your own boys are going to be there. It's 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 remarkable. It really has. I, it's just sitting wrong with so many people and. But it's happening, and no matter what we want to do about it, it's happening, and it's going to have this uh, impact, as you say, whether um, it's hard to see how it can have a great impact on us one way or the other. We've seen already a few horror stories, poor old um, uh, Sadio Mane, the latest of the crew, after all his heroics to get um, his country there, will not be able to represent them. Uh, That's a shame. Um, But to look at two of the squads, that you mentioned. We'll just start briefly with that Brazilian uh, squad um, because I just want to talk to you about who they've got in attack. So they've selected for their forward uh, places, uh, United's Anthony, um, and they've also got uh, Rafinha, uh, Richarlison, uh, Rodrigo, Pedro, and young Martinelli from uh, Arsenal. And I'm wondering, as I look at that, and I think of Roberto Firmino, and I think about the style of football that Brazil have always played, and I think about the fact that pace doesn't always necessarily have to be a huge factor in that, and how his game would seem almost entirely suited to our traditional concept of what a Brazilian team would be. And I find that a strange omission, I have to say. Just... That one guy, when you pull him up against any of those other guys, Anthony, Rafinha, Richarlison, Martinelli, Rodrigo, Pedro, I mean, surely he's worthy of a place in there. It seems an odd call to me, but then again, you know, um, what do I know? What was your take when you saw Bobby had missed out? Surprised. Uh, I obviously thought there was a chance just because of the sheer numbers that they have, uh, and, and they do have so many. Uh, potentially great players and some of them you mentioned there Martinelli and Rodrigo and you didn't mention uh, Vinicius from, from Real Madrid as well and they, some of them are really young and just starting out their careers isn't it so they do have a lot but I just think that he's been a big part of Brazil over the last six or seven years uh, because of the way he plays the link up play uh, I thought he would have been perfect on top of that has he made the best start he's ever made to the Premier League season probably in terms of goals and assists uh, so I am a little bit surprised and it's it's a little bit unlike Brazil because Brazil have a tendency to stick with the people who are used to playing for Brazil because playing for Brazil is such a big deal, isn't it? The pressure that comes with it is enormous, isn't it? Uh, and that's why I thought, well, they'll take Bobby because he knows exactly what he, 
what it takes, what it means to play for Brazil. Isn't it? So he'll be disappointed. Uh, again, from a Liverpool point of view, yeah, I'm disappointed. Uh, I think there's other people you could say, okay, yeah, let him stay back and rest. Bobby, it would have been nice for him to be able to go to, to, to the World Cup and be a big part of that. You almost feel that he may be almost deserved it, isn't it? But there's almost no such thing in football, is it? It's a, it's a brutal game. It's And it's of course, it's not easy when you've got so many talented players. Well, that's it. And I, I was just selecting a few guys there um, across various positions who I think um, Bobby was certainly um, more into place, at least alongside, if not, beyond. Neymar's going to play. Vinicius Junior's going to play. Gabby Jesus is going to probably play. But after that, you know, the idea that Richarlison's in that squad ahead of him is, is, is a weird one, I have to say. I just I found it a little bit odd. But to move our, our attentions towards um, the more familiar uh, and the England World, World Cup squad, I really like your take on this. Um, they've gone with Pickford, Pope and Ramsdale, probably no surprise there in the goalkeeping scenario. Uh, after a news of an injury uh, to Reese James, um, Trent is selected, as is Connor Cody. And not many people would have seen that a few years ago. Uh, Eric Dyer, Harry Maguire is going, um, which is a Controversial one when you consider how well Tamori's been doing. Luke Shaw is going, John Stones is going, Kieran Trippier, Kyle Walker, and Ben White. Um, the midfield group is Jude Bellingham, Connor Gallagher, uh, Jordan Henderson, Mason Mount, Calvin Phillips, and Declan Rice. And then up top, they've gone with Foden, Grealish, Kane, Madison, Rashford, Saka, Sterling, and Wilson. I suppose the first thing I'm going to ask you is what do you think about that as a squad? Do you think there's a really good team and say 13 or 14 there if, they, if they're lucky enough with injuries that could go deep in the competition? I think it, it very much reflects the manager and the way that the manager wants to play. Uh, we, we, we spoke last week about Graham Sooners calling Casemiro a steady Eddie, didn't we? And uh, Southgate likes steady Eddies. Conor Cody, Dyer, he knows what Maguire stands for. Uh, so he's gone for a lot of those players where he know he can, he, he know what, what he's going to get from them. And also he has surprised, I think, with, with the likes of Madison uh, being in the squad. Uh, but I think he recognises. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter, at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. You need to be able to do something totally different, isn't it? And that's probably why he took Conor Gallagher as well. I like Conor Gallagher. I'm a big fan of Conor Gallagher. He's a bit like when we put Darwin Nunez on, or he plays, something happens, you know, he creates some chaos, isn't it? So I like him. So 
you can always argue A, B, or C, who should have been in, who shouldn't have been in, isn't it? Uh, and of course, a lot of people will go, Harry Maguire, the way he's been playing or whatever. So, as I said before, Southgate knows exactly what he stands for. He likes him. I think he feels that he's good for the squad as well. And he gets himself a couple of, well, gets himself a week to get ready for the games. And I wouldn't be surprised if he plays a big part. Well, we will probably find ourselves, like you said, because there will be stories. Um, whether we want to or not talking about the World Cup as it goes on over the next while um, uh, whatever the four weeks or so is it's going to be an unavoidable story Um, we won't get bogged down in any of the issues around it just yet I don't know if you saw Jürgen's interview during the week I, I, I found it one of the best he's given he was being asked about it and he basically pushed back on the journalist who was looking for him to comment on, you know, human rights abuses and, you know, workers' rights abuses and all those kind of things that uh, we've all heard the stories. Um, everyone, you know, knew it was likely to happen, workers working in this intolerable heat and all the rest of it. And Jürgen just pushed back and said, like, what, what, are you, what are you trying to do here? You're basically trying to get me to say something. Klopp says, blah, blah, blah. But he said, we knew it. You knew it. You should have written about it. You didn't write about it. And here we are. And now we're talking about it when it's too late. And and his attitude was very much what you said reminded me of it. Look, it's on. It's going to happen. I'll probably watch some games. I think that's how most of us feel. But don't start. I liked what he said. Don't start coming at me now looking for opinions or looking for quotes about things being right or wrong when the people who are in the position to do something about it, namely the media, uh, journalists said very little, didn't they, Al, at the time? I mean, there was occasional dissenting voices, but there wasn't enough of a pushback, I don't think. We, we had one chance, and that was 12 years ago. That's yeah. when everybody should have been up in arms and gone, yeah. this ain't going to happen. We're going to do everything in our power to make sure it doesn't happen. Uh, and now we're here. We can't avoid it. It's going to happen. It doesn't make anyone feel great. Uh, but we cannot blame any of the players or any of the managers because you're representing your country in a, in, a, in a World Cup. It is not their decision where it's been played. But this is what the media like now, isn't it? To be able to shuffle on to some big names in sport to take that response. What do you think of it all? You know, and, and, and of course, we all know what they should say, isn't it? But it, 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 it is not. They will do as much as they can. Football associations and managers and players, isn't it? But I keep coming back to 12 years ago. We should have just gone. No, 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 no. And it wouldn't have took long for, for FIFA to, to change their minds, I'm absolutely sure. But it was one of those, isn't that? When it comes around in 12 years, things might have improved or we might have forgotten about certain things. And Well, it's escalated, hasn't it? And the story is bigger than it's ever been, isn't it? But now it's too bloody late. And it's also too bloody late for us to do anything about the Champions League draw, Jan, which happened <laughs> since you and I spoke last. Uh, and it was um, what we would call around here a right kick in the stones um, when it was drawn. I don't think too many people were uh, jumping up and down with excitement. There was the occasional headbanger who was delighted and talking about revenge. Uh, and I get that, I do, but it's just I don't want to hear it. Um, it's it w- it's the worst possible draw. Let's let's be let's be honest. We could have gotten Bayern, Real, Porto, Benfica. We got the worst possible one, and the added crapness that they have been quite the bogey team for us so 
it, it is just an awful kick, isn't it, when we were looking to, to, to the Champions League for some salvation this season, or is that the wrong way to look at it? Maybe we should think about how we can reboot and go at them, and maybe they are get at it over two legs. What's your, what, what was your, what's your feeling on the whole Champions League draw? And we will. Eventually, we will start to get ready for the Real Madrid game, and we will convince ourselves that we've got a chance or that we'll beat them. But right now, a couple of days after the draw, you do feel a little bit, Jesus Christ, you know what I mean? This just makes it even more difficult, doesn't it? Uh, did you see that stat, Trevor? I'm sure you saw it about Klopp and uh, his uh, Champions League record at Liverpool. He's only ever exited the Champions League or lost against clubs from Madrid. Yeah. And the only time he won it, we didn't play in Madrid, but we played in Madrid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not a good omen, but that means no hope. So well, that's the thing. That's the thing. It's it's. There's always those things knocking about. And look, I do get behind. Now that the draws made, it's one of those. Well, we have to beat them at some point. So let's get on with it. It's going to be interesting. Um, maybe you and I might talk next week or some of the weeks during the World Cup about some of the other games and look at that draw and talk about those games in a in a different way. But it just doesn't seem particularly relevant now because there is a bigger story even again, and it happened on the same freaking day. And uh, as the Champions League draw, and just when we thought we couldn't get our heads around that news, and we were trying to juggle this massive, massive um, um, breaking Reds news flash, we got a bigger one. Um, now, I say that, but there's the news has been taken in a couple of different ways. There's been a couple of different um, uh, expressions since about um, what was intended. When you heard. Um, the David Ornstein article being thrown around at you on Friday uh, and you were listening and you saw the statement. I'm sure like me, you thought, well, that doesn't add up. Liverpool for sale. Then you read the statement. That doesn't say that at all. Then he goes on. There's more talk about it. And then with the latest we've heard is that, you know, I think Jürgen talking about, well, they're looking to sell a stake. Um, and again, how much the manager is involved in this whole process or would be telling the truth about this whole process to the media is, is another thing. Um, we've done several shows here on the channel about it, Jan, and some fans don't want to don't want to hear about it because there's nothing solid or concrete. And then there's a whole new range of debate about who would be fit and proper owners for our club, who would fit our culture and all the rest of it. There's a lot to talk about. Just give me some of your initial feelings when you heard that the club might be up for grabs. So, Officially, most sports franchises, elite sport franchises, are not officially up for sale, are they? But they're, of course, always for sale in case somebody comes and wants to pay uh, ridiculous money. Uh, so I was surprised that they made it as public as, as they did. But then I'm looking, I'm thinking, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, you don't just go and get them involved unless there's something happening. Is there something brewing already? Uh, have they got somebody already? And I think it's going to be a case of Trevor. They're going to find somebody, and I'm more likely to think it'll be an American hedge fund, hedge fund again, yeah? Because if you look at the whole sort of scenario, is that we've got, we've got American owners. We sold 11% to Redbird Capital, which is another American investors. Uh, 
two of America's biggest banks are now trying to sell our football club. It just looks like a very American thing, this, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Owned by Americans, looking to sell or, or get Americans to invest. And so I think it's going to be a case of eventually we're going to find somebody whose money we like. Yeah. So we can now go, Trevor, we like you and we like your money. And then I think it's a case of how much of your money do we want? You know, do we want to sell you the whole club or do we want you to give 10, 20 or 30 percent, whatever? My suggestion, Trevor, is that billionaires are almost one to a penny now, aren't they? We're still making billionaires, aren't we? There'll, there'll be there'll be probably another 10 new billionaires in, in, in the next year, whatever year. But we don't make any elite sports clubs anymore, do we? So my suggestion to FSG would be that you own already one of the most uh, revered, uh, one of the biggest sports uh, clubs in the world, isn't it? So if I was them, and I think they might think like this as well, is that they want to keep some of it. You know, I'm not sure that it would be in their interest to let go of it all. So I do think that deep down, I think they're, they're looking for to sell a stake. They want somebody to come involved because spend money on the on the stands, the new stand and the stand behind the goal and the training ground and whatever. It looks like an overhaul. That's going to be expensive. There could even be an overhaul of the squad without Champions League money. That's going to be even less attractive for the business. So I think ideally they might want to sell a, a, a stake in Liverpool, but I think they'll be quite keen to keep hold of it. Uh, I know they've got interest in, in American sport, isn't it? But is any of those, are any of those as big as Liverpool worldwide? You know, I, I, I don't know. I just, it, they, 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 they have a, they have a unique sporting club. They own a unique sporting club. You know what I mean? And I think they're going to think twice before they let it all go. I think you're right in the initial thing you said as well that if if you look at the statement where it says that um, FSG has always been open to um, expressions of interest, um, great. Why bring that statement out now? Why are there the concrete links to the two huge financial institutions you mentioned? Why place it with a trusted journalist? Um, What's the point of that? Um, if not to either sort of get people ready for something that's about to happen, as you said, and do they have someone sorted out or to get people used to the concept? I mean, this is what governments do when they want to fly a flag and they let, let it be out there and let the, the, the thing be known. But most people have gotten themselves quite excited about the idea of a total overhaul in terms of that ownership group and are looking around to see who might be potentially wealthy enough to buy an asset that's now apparently reportedly valued at around 4 million, depending on who you listen to. That's the figure that I'm hearing the most, uh, 4 billion, excuse me. Um, and that's a terrifyingly large amount of money for any one single investor to come in, unless they are the type of lads, uh, who bring with them a certain amount of baggage and questions. And, um, I think, Jan, in that case, it's a whole different conversation, isn't it? Because I'm listening to, we've had endless debates and we've actually had full shows on, on Anfield Index where our contributors have been talking about how, well, how we couldn't get behind X, Y, or Z as potential owners because they just do not fit the culture of the club. And we've heard our fans, we've heard Liverpool fans be quite dismissive and moralistic about the city ownership group, the Newcastle ownership group. 
it's just not going to be an acceptable thing to a huge body of Liverpool supporters if we went a similar route with this sort of um, nation-state ownership. I mean, can you imagine the carnage that would be wrought amongst the fan groups? The, the So many people just would not stand for it. I wonder sometimes if that's part of the reason the, 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 the strength of the fan of the fan base and, and the strength of their opinions. I wonder if that's sometimes half the reason why FSG wouldn't mind getting away. I mean, they have to put up a constant abuse online and they know that anything they do that the fans don't like, they will be pushed back and they do always cave to it. So, I mean, we are a unique bunch to be buying as well. That's going to be a massive factor in it, isn't it, Jan? Or, or am I being naive? Is a deal a deal at the end of the day and FSG will just sell to whoever? No, I don't think a deal is a deal. I would be amazed if a deal is a deal, Trevor. I think there's more to it than that. I mean, when, when did they, they bought the club in 2010, I think. They obviously had no involved emotional attachment to Liverpool when they when they bought it. It was a business deal, wasn't it? You know, we're, we're, we're picking up a, a big European football club with 300 million. Uh, they've never took any money out because they knew that they'll get the money when they sell. I mean, now we're talking about potentially... 12, 13 times their money, yeah. So they've, so they've done well, haven't they? And they were quite prepared to, to, to wait for that. But still, having said all of that, I still don't think that a deal will be a deal for them. I, I still think that they will, they will understand the legacy that they leave behind. And I think that will play, play a part. I, I do. I know some people say they just want the most money. I still think they'll be able to get whatever they want of American investors. Uh, so as I said before, I think it's going to head that way. If not, Trevor, if not, whew, it's going to take some pushing through, isn't it? You know, if, it, if it's not something that we can all support, uh, we don't all have to support 100%, but we have to be able to support in some way, I don't think it's going to happen. And I think they'll be aware of that because they, you know, they, they, they've had their little bits and bobs, haven't they, with the ticket prices and the, 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 the furlough and, uh, and, and, and various other things where they've had to backtrack, isn't the European Super League being perfect, isn't it? I mean, some people are suggesting that the failure of the European Super League is the very reason that we're here, because that was their end game. Mm. There's so many aspects of this trouble, isn't it? Mm. Why, why can't we get can't we get John W on here and, and fucking tell us what what's going to tell you? We'll try to, we'll try that for you next week, Adam. I'm sorry, we should have had that lined up. Uh, but you know, it, it is it's it's going to be an end of the story. Of course, the lads are having the crack. Uh, everywhere uh, who are creating content like ourselves. I mean, I'm not putting uh, us above uh, the general media scramble on this because we want to talk about it. Like, you'd be an idiot not to want to talk about it. Um, But, you know, there's a lot, all the usual suspects are coming out and they're dropping facts and truth bombs and they're definitely 100% sure Dubai international capital, it's going to be China, it's going to be Bahrain. It, like you said, this is going to be a big, big story. And I think most of us, well, certainly I would like it to be over sooner rather than later. I don't fancy this going on for two, six, eight months or a year. Um, so hopefully we'll have some sort of clarity and we can all start getting our heads around what it's going to be. In the short term, we have one game left before this long extended break away from the Reds playing the old football. Uh, it's against Southampton, who have parted company with Ralph Hassenhudel, uh, after, you know, an unusual, he, is it, I don't know whether you call it a, a, a bad spell overall, but 
there were times when it looked like it was going really well for them and then times when they've been on the end of some ferocious tonkings. So I guess it was probably going to come to an end. And it has. And they've appointed a new manager. And like, I'll be perfectly honest with all our listeners. It was news to me because I'm not the best guy in the world at keeping up with stuff on a day-to-day basis because I find it kind of bogs me down a bit. So I like to do my research just before shows. And I discovered that today, um, I discovered that Nathan Jones is the Southampton manager. And actually, I don't think I'm that far out of the loop because most of these confirmation um uh, headlines are somewhere between uh, about tw- tw- t- 10 and 24 hours ago. Nathan Jones, apparently former Luton boss, um, and that would be the height of my knowledge about him. Can you put us uh, in the know there in any way, shape or form, my friend? No, Trev, no, I think that's all we can give to our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> he stitched me up here, folks. He stitched me right up live on air. Go on, it's, man. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it's quite remarkable, as it happens, Trevor. I, uh, I cycle two or three times a week. And the guy I cycle with, his son-in-law, a guy called Chris Cohen, who used to play for Nottingham Forest, is the assistant manager to Nathan Jones, was at Luton and has also gone with him to Southampton. Uh, so I do have a fair bit of knowledge of how they've been getting on uh, and how they do things. Uh, so Mason is a relatively young manager. I think he's in mid-40s. Uh, he, he falls a bit into the category of Pep Guardiola, Mikel Arteta. He's obsessed 24 hours a day. He's on the back of the players all the time, never happy. Uh, but he has this thing with Southampton, I guess it's about he overachieves. You know, he's been overachieving with, with Luton in two spells. He was at Luton, got a job at Stoke, failed at Stoke, came back to Luton, had done really well again. Had them in the playoffs last year to go into the play in the into the Premier League. So he overachieves. And this thing, and this is a small world Trevor, because a Dane who was on the board of Brentford left the board of Brentford to be part of a consortium who bought Southampton, uh, a guy called Rasmus Ankersen. Uh, and I know how he does things, you know, in terms of finding managers. This is not something that's they've done ever since they decided to sack, sack Balthasen. They've been on the outlook for the next manager for for a while, and they look for managers to overachieve. And I think they've had they've had a good look at Nathan for a long, long time, uh, and they like what they see. It's going to be interesting. They bought, they failed to support Hasenhüttl generally over the last few years, but last summer they opened up. And they bought him the last seventy million pounds worth of young players, and I think that was the problem. It was young players, and they failed uh, to put the one thing right. They needed to put right. They hadn't got any goals in the team, and without goals, there's only one place you go, on, isn't it? So I think it's interesting. I'm kind of, if I'm a Southampton fan, I can get excited, but I can also look and go, just this lack of a lack of ambition. I don't think it's a lack of ambition. Because they do have ambitions, uh, that's for sure, isn't it? But he doesn't have any Premier League experience. He doesn't have anything on his CV to impress people. So, you know, luckily for him, and I don't, but luckily for him, he has that one game now, doesn't he, against Liverpool, and then he has six weeks of being able to get to work with the players. So, um, interesting. 
Well, like you said as well, I suppose it's interesting for a comparatively young manager or a new, uh, certainly a brand, a brand new manager to a place to be starting with a squad that has a lot of new faces as well. That would probably work in his favour, you would imagine. And if you can get the older heads on side, it'll be interesting to watch what happens. There's no point in us trying to predict what Nathan Jones is going to do in terms of impacting the style of Southampton in their very first game. So we'll wait and we'll hold that knowledge that you have via your cycling mate in abeyance until it becomes relevant in the second half of the season when we're talking about the the, the rematch against Southampton. Just if 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 um Nathan is uh, an overachiever, we'd have to say that in recent term times that has not been the case, alas, for Southampton, um, who certainly haven't been overachieving. And their last set of results, they did, I think, manage to go through in the EFL Cup last night in penalties, I reckon. Um, but they got a battering against uh, Newcastle um, at, at, at Southampton 4-1 on Sunday. Um, before that, Crystal Palace had beaten them on the previous Saturday. Um the one um, before that, the game before that was a one-all draw with Arsenal, which most people were surprised at. They did have a win at Bournemouth, a one-all draw with Southampton, a bad beating to City 4-0. Everton beat them 2-1. Villa beat them 1-0. It's been a bad, bad run. Draws are the best that they can manage there, would it seem, with the, I think, a solitary win in that time over Bournemouth. Um if we look at the table, Jan, just for the sake of of, of doing that uh, exercise, it's not pretty reading for Liverpool either, if we're being perfectly honest. Um, but they're there right bang in the danger zone with uh, a meagre 12 points. Although I will remind everybody that Liverpool's massive total is 19 points. So let's not get too crazy uh, about the respective differences there just yet. And just to talk about the Southampton team a little bit in terms of who might be um, uh, showing up against us. Of course, again, the new manager thing will, will have a bearing on that. But if we take their team in the most recent defeat uh, against uh, Newcastle uh, and, 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 and look at the lineup there, they went with Gavin Bazunu, who's um, actually ahead of um, our man Quivian Kelleher for Ireland um, in what some people see as a controversial decision. Uh, they had Kotchap and Salisu at um, centre-half, Bella Kotchap and Salisu. Uh, Perro and Larios were their um, uh, full-backs. Ward-Prowse and Maitland-Niles, people will be very familiar with those two. And then they had Armstrong, uh, uh, Elianusi, Che Adams behind uh, Walcott. That's how they went. And their substitutes, Bench Yan. I mean, Caletta Carr's on there. Uh, a lot of people were talking about him for a long time. Uh, Aribo Armstrong came on as well. Edozi Diallo um, and Sekumara. A lot of names there that a lot of people won't be that familiar with. Most of the first team um, they will have heard of before. Um it's an interesting one for us because I would say, and just to tee it up, it, it's not it's not a game that we can afford to get anything but three points in. Um, we have to take advantage of this. The the other teams around them in the table, we've done so badly against teams in the at the bottom of the division. Forest uh, uh, did a number on us, and 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 we. we we can't allow that to become a pattern. So for me, it's a must win. We're going to have to go big and go strong here against this team. And 
do you think they have a rally in them? I mean, look at those recent results that w- wouldn't suggest that they have a whole lot about them, but maybe new manager bounce. What, what's your what's your feeling on this particular clash at the weekend? Well, I think there will be a new manager bounce, uh, and also because of the way that Nathan is. You know, he's, he's he's very aggressive in the way that he motivates his team, and he wants them to be aggressive on the pitch. Although they'll probably play a four-five-one uh, formation with everybody behind uh, the ball. Uh, I mean, you mentioned the players there. They're a bit, a bit unlucky with Liver Menzo, a, a young fullback from Chelsea, very good. Walker Peters injured. Lavia, a young midfield player to go for Manchester City. And Bella Kocha, which you'll like, Trevor. He's a German centre half. He's only just returned off injury. He looks a real good player. Uh, but the problem is they, they, they've got no goals in them. Uh, Jay Adams doesn't score enough. And Adam Armstrong is, is not a Premier League striker. You might get away with playing Adam Armstrong on, on the wing because he's technically good, skillful, whatever. But so it's, it, I, it, it should be straightforward. As much as they are going to come with with, with, with with their new manager bounce, we should have more than enough to beat them. Well, we're coming right up to the time. And you know me, I don't like it to go over long. I don't like to keep you any longer than we, we, we have to. So I'll go straight to what you think your predictions for the score would be. Well, I think what we learned, Trevor, and it's not just from Liverpool, uh, but from mainly the top teams, the teams who play in Europe, isn't it? There isn't a lot of goals in their games uh, over the last few weeks because of tiredness, isn't it? So I don't think we're at the situation where I'm going to go 4 or 5 nil. You know, I think it'll be a steady 2 nil, three points, close up for the World Cup, and we'll see you again on Boxing Day. Let's hope that is very much the case. I look forward to talking to you about it next week, one way or the other. Look, we went Champions League draw. We had uh, ownership uh, um, controversy. We had games played. We have games to look forward to. Took you around the houses as usual. So, yet again, thanks very much, Sean. Yeah, no, absolutely wonderful, Trevor. We're almost there. We are almost there. So do join myself and the big man for the next show. We'll be looking back on what happens in that Southampton game and trying to get our heads around what's going to happen during the World Cup. We might even do a little bit of an indulgent chat about the Danes. Why not? Why not? That might be a bit of crack. And uh, we can see what Jan uh, makes of his countryman's chances. But until then, that was Jan Mulby. I'm Trev Denny. This is Mulby on the spot for Anfield Index Pro. We'll be back next week. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.